It's about the way our genes switch on and switch off. And um, stress and trauma is so powerful in the way that it switches on our genes. So you'll hear conversations around cortisol and all other, you know, what we call neurotransmitters, dopamine, serotonin, epinephrine. Um, so when we have a response to stress, we have a very a natural response because, of course, we're hunter gatherers. And so having stress was a was a, a evolutionary way of surviving, you know, that our body responded. The problem in a modern environment is we have stress all the time. We have what we call chronic stress. So I'm not talking about trauma. I'm talking about chronic stress. So in this case, the genes that get switched on in response to stress, and that stress could be physical, emotional, psychological. It doesn't matter what kind of stress it is. We'll switch on genes that, from an evolutionary point of view, were meant to be switched on and switched off when the, the lion stopped chasing us. But in our world, we have a lot of exposure to stress. And when these genes get switched on, they make hormones, they make enzymes like cortisol that make it very difficult for us to manage our weight. They make it very difficult for us to sleep. They make it very difficult for us to manage our glucose and insulin. So that's one example of stress. Welcome to the Forgiven Nutritionist podcast, where today I'm talking with Yael Jaffe. She was one of my teachers, and her lef lectures left a lasting impression on my learning. Yael is globally acknowledged as a leading expert in the field of nutrigenomics. In 2000, she was part of a team that built the first lifestyle genetic test, and since then has been responsible for building many others. She is the author of four books, The Power of Genetics, It's Not Just Your Genes, Genes to Plate, and SNP Journal. Yael has been published in multiple peer-reviewed scientific journals. She's the host of Power of Genetics podcast and is highly regarded speaker in genetics. In 2018, Yale founded 3X4 Genetics and now serves as its chief science officer. The company's practitioner-focused genetics platform offers comprehensive genetic testing, reporting, and recommendations. It's one of the tests that I use in my practice and run on my clients. I believe our conversation will be just as enlightening for you. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining me today, Yale. My pleasure, Wendy. Very happy to be here. Um, now, I'm a little familiar with you um, because you did some classes in my school. So why don't you tell my listeners a little bit about yourself, who you are, kind of what you stand for, and how you ended up in gen uh, genes and genetics. Well, it's, that's, a, that's actually a, a big answer. Um, so I, as you may hear from my accent, I'm not born in America. I'm born in South Africa, but I do live in Seattle now. And I actually started out in architecture. So I had no intention of working in genetics or nutrition or in healthcare. I was very excited about art and architecture. And then my grandmother, my grand died from cancer. And that was a really big deal um, in my life. And I was quite horrified that no one could tell me why she got cancer um, or what she could have done to um, prevent cancer or manage cancer. So I left architecture and um, went off looking for answers, you know, of, of the why. And I landed up becoming a dietitian. Um, and was very unimpressed with what I learned there. In fact, I didn't really get any answers from, from that. It was a couple of decades ago, but still didn't 
find the answers. And so after I finished my dietetics degree, I, I kind of went searching and I went traveling and I met this amazing woman in London who was a geneticist. And this was in the year 2000, which is a good while ago before genetics was like the in thing or, or something that people understood. I mean, it was a really long time ago. And she believed that genetics and nutrition was going to be the future of medicine. And I couldn't even remember what a gene was, never mind like <laughs> the genetics and nutrition. I thought she was like, like this is science fiction. But it was a good time in my life to um, explore. I was still searching for answers. And there was something about genetics that made sense to me about having some answers. And so I joined um, a, a company called Sarona, which was the first genetics company in the world to build a nutrition genetics test. And then I realized that um, Rosalind, my, my colleague, had much more fun than I did because she got to build genetic tests. And I just got to do the nutrition recommendations, which wasn't as exciting. So I went back to university and got a PhD in genetics. And I specialized in this area of what we call nutrigenomics, but really uh, is really the relationship between nutrition genetics. And, and that is, you know, you know the, the short story, the long story is it's now 23, almost 24 years that I've been working in this space. And in that time, I have built uh, many genetic tests for different companies that I've been a part of. Um, I have an, uh, built an education company teaching um, clinicians how to use genetics in clinical practice, um, how to translate genetics to, to find value. And really, I always say, if, you, you know, if it doesn't help you decide what you want to eat for breakfast, well, we probably failed you. Um, and I had a clinic for three years as well. And more recently, um, five years ago, I launched a new company called 3x4 Genetics, which is where you and I um, got to know each other. And, and that's one of the things that um, I was fascinated with in school when I first was introduced to you, um, was I never really thought about genes at all. Um, I grew up kind of thinking everything was genetic. And I think that's because a lot of people in my family think everything is genetic. And they, I think that's what society kind of tells us. So when um, in school I learned a lot about um, lifestyle and diet and how that all plays a role. And especially lately, too, um, when I was introduced to your company, 3X4, it was mind-boggling how wonderful and amazing genes can really give you information. And so I, was, I, I, was, I love how you explain how what genes are and, and uh, just all the things related to genes. So hey, everyone. Just a quick break to show some gratitude to our sponsors and give you some special deals. I don't know if you've heard about Metabolic Daily, but here are what two of my clients recently told me. My cravings have decreased and I feel so much better. I'm finally able to manage my weight. I no longer crave sugar and sweets and my blood sugar levels have been stable. Metabolic Daily naturally replenishes your gut microbiome and supports healthy weight because it helps your body do more with the good food you eat. It supports butyrate and GLP-1. GLP-1 is a hormone produced in the gut that helps reduce appetite, releases insulin, and controls blood sugar. Butyrate is a short-chain fatty acid that helps with blood sugar response, gut permeability, and immune function. Unlock an exclusive 20% discount on your first month's membership by entering my unique code when you click on the Linktree link in the show notes. 
to Jean. So maybe you could kind of tell our listeners today um, a little bit, like what what is a gene and what what happens with the gene. Okay, so we can um, we can definitely do that. So I, I'm going to explain it in the simplest way I know how. But you know, to your point, every single thing about who we are is a combination of our genetics, which we inherit from our parents. And the choices and decisions we make every minute of every day. So, and it doesn't really matter what it is, whether it's exercise or stress or trauma or nutrition or um, sleep. Every single thing we do is this interplay, this relationship, this kind of dance between our genes and and that environment. So, what what is genetics? So, so our genes are essentially our blueprints. You've probably heard this before. And the way genetics works is if you think of a language, so we all speak English, let's use English as a language. We have 26 letters in the alphabet. And when we put letters together, we make words. And then when we put words together, we make sentences. And we make sentences together, we get like paragraphs. And then we put those together into a chapter. And all of a sudden, we're able to tell a story. We're able to to talk about um, who we are. And, and who we are in this world. Now imagine we have another language, which is the language of genetics. But instead of having 26 letters, we have four letters. And genetics has A, C, G, and T. So only four letters. Um, but considering how simple um, our letters are, it's amazing what it can produce, which is essentially, you know, us. So the way genetics works is that the, every single word has three letters. So it'll be A-C-C or A-G-T, but every single word has three letters. And this three-letter word, which we call a codon in, in genetics, is a code for an amino acid. Now, I know many of you would have heard about amino acids because they are the building blocks of protein. But you may be thinking about amino acids in terms of nutrition or the food that you eat or maybe, you know, a milkshake you drink. But actually, protein, which pretty much makes up our body and the way our body works, is made up of amino acids. So now imagine we've got a language of letters that come together to form words, amino acids, which come together to form proteins. Now, when we talk about things like enzymes and hormones and brain messages, what we call neurotransmitters, all of these are proteins that make our body work the way that it works. Now, the way genetic works is that we are 99.9% identical to each other. That means at 0.1%, our sequence code, so our spelling, is different from each other. And that's not very hard to imagine because all you have to do is look at Wendy and I and you can tell there is something different about us. I mean, if we were standing up, I'm going to bet that Wendy's going to be a whole lot taller than me. Um, So we know that we are different from each other. And this difference comes from this point. 1%. 1%. And what is the 0.1%? It's spelling changes. Just spelling changes. So instead of having a CGA, I might have a CGT. But these spelling changes can change the amino acids in our body and therefore can change the proteins, which means that 
Just having these spelling changes can change enzyme activity, hormone activity, how tall we're going to be, the color of my eyes, my blood group diet. So everything we are and how we respond to the world around us is about these spelling changes. And what genetic testing does is actually test for spelling changes. We call it SNPs, single nucleotide polymorphisms, but really it's just a spelling change. Where instead of having a C, you might have a G. Instead of having a G, you might have an A. And my job as a geneticist is to be able to analyze those spelling changes, look at the scientific literature and figure out why does it matter? Why having the sequence change, the spelling change, will make a difference into how I respond to the world around me? Well, and that was such a simplistic and you know wonderful analogy, I think. And I'm hoping that a lot of people, um, once they've heard that, and then by the time we get to the end of this um, recording, hopefully they'll understand that they have a little bit more control and a little bit more power than I think that they think they currently do. I think, um, yes, there is a lot of genetics that do play a, a role, that there's a lot of things that we cannot change, but I want people to feel empowered to maybe take back some of the control that um, they do really have and and sink into instead of, um, or I should say not sink into the diagnosis they've been given and maybe kind of take charge and take back some of their health. And, and that's a very good point. You know, people say, you know, your, your genetics, you know, is not your destiny. And it really isn't. It's just information. So there's, there's another side to the equation which I haven't spoken about. So first thing, you're 100% right. Um, most of the gene uh, variants or these spelling changes that I'm talking about are information for you to know who you are and how your body works. And if you have that information about yourself, you then have the ability, uh, working with a practitioner or a health coach or whatever you decide, to be able to make the best changes to optimize the, the way your body works. So I always talk about these spelling changes as insight. We gain insight by knowing who we are, what our changes are. But there's another 50% um, um, of the equation is that we can't change the sequence of our DNA. Uh, well, you can if you do gene auditing, but that's not the conversation today. And that isn't something that's mainstream. So you can't change the sequence of your code. But what you can do is you can change the way your genes behave. So what do I mean about that? So this is gene expression. So 50% of the conversation is look at your genetic sequence code, have a genetic test, understand those spelling changes and how they change the way your enzymes work, your hormones work, how you respond to food, environment, toxins, stress, trauma. But the second part is really about the power which you refer to, which is what do I do? Once I have all this wonderful insight, what do I do? So there is another field um, of genetics called epigenetics. And epigenetics is about the way our genes behave, the way our genes switch on and switch off. To make a protein or to make an enzyme or to make a brain messenger or anything like that, to make a new cell, a gene needs to be switched on. And when a gene gets switched on, it makes a protein. And when we've made the protein and we've got enough of it, the gene gets switched off and tucks itself away. Every single thing we do in our lives, whether it's the weather we're encountering, whether it's uh, laughing or connecting with community, whether it's nutrition, environmental exposures, pollution, 
um, pharmaceuticals, I mean, a, a massage, a Reiki, anything you can imagine is going to switch genes on and switch them off. And so there's two ways that we are empowered. They're empowered by knowledge of know who you are, know your spelling changes, know how you respond to the world. And the second part is we can use the choices we make, be they nutrition, lifestyle, meditation, cold water immersion, exercise, doesn't matter what we do, to optimize the way that our genes are being switched on and switched off. So in every way, we have power with genetics. The only time where genetics is more powerful is in the very, very rare cases where you get these rare genetic variants that can cause a disease like sickle cell anemia, familial hypercholesterolemia. But these diseases are very, very rare. And most of you will never, ever encounter it. What you mostly are living with is this interaction between your genes that you inherited, the choices you make, and the way your genes get switched on and switched off. Right. And, and I would imagine, especially if um, someone is already, let's say they're, they already have been diagnosed with diabetes, so they've already got so much of a struggle already going on in their body, um, it's going to take their body a little longer to heal and so that might help them understand as well once they know what their genes are, okay, what they're kind of up against or what might work in their favor uh, to kind of help them heal from some of those types of things. Oh, absolutely. So, so the question, so now you, you, like you say, okay, you've got a patient who's got diabetes, you've got a client who's got diabetes. I always like, the thing for me is why? Why? Why did they get diabetes? So we know that these conditions like diabetes or obesity or arthritis or autoimmune or you know um, fatigue it doesn't matter what it is they don't happen overnight right your clients don't wake up in the morning and like yesterday they didn't have any issues with their blood glucose and today they wake up as a diabetic we know that they it evolves over decades so the question i always want to know is but why did they get diabetes and that you know we train to go back and look we want to know what their diet and lifestyle is. We want to know what their exposures are. We want to know, you know, their stress and trauma. But we also want to know their genes. Because the genes often give us the why. The genes often are the insight of, but what started going wrong in your body 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago that manifested as diabetes down the road. And if we can understand the why, then our ability to manage that client, um, help them to resolve their diabetes. We now know with type 2 diabetes, we can actually reverse diabetes. Like, But if we know the why, because diabetes is not just a singular disease, it's very multifactorial. So by knowing the why, we also know how to address it. Yeah, so what kinds of things, it, since we're talking about diabetes, for example, maybe you want to use that. Um, what kinds of things that we eat would contribute to something that would change our genes that maybe would start to turn on some of those diabetic genes or turn off? It's about what are the metabolic pathways that contribute to diabetes and what are the genes that might impact that? So let's think about, so the most obvious one is we know is glucose and insulin. So how, how we produce glucose, um, how insulin reacts to glucose that's coming into our body, how our sensitive our insulin is to foods that are coming to our body. 
a large part of this will be determined by genetics, but obviously will also be determined by our weight, our exercise, um, and of course the foods we're eating. But there are other things that will also contribute towards diabetes. So another example would be inflammation. So we know that inflammation is one of the core processes that is at the bottom of, of diabetes. That if we don't resolve um, inflammation, we will never have insulin sensitivity. We will develop insulin resistance and we will likely go on to, to develop diabetes. There's hormones. There's, um, and I'm just thinking off the top of my head, like there's so many different pathways. Oxidative stress is another one that can impact um, insulin resistance. Um, detoxification. So when we think about something like diabetes, it's not that there's one food. It's just that there are multiple journeys, multiple roads that can lead us to um, developing diabetes. And we know that there are different types of it. So what, we, what I'm talking about is like using genetics to be the detective and to find out the why and then being able to go back and say, okay, well, now we know which one of these things that I just mentioned. Maybe it's inflammation. Let's have a look at all the foods that are pro-inflammatory. Let's look at the foods that are anti-inflammatory. And let's look at all the other things we can do to reduce inflammation. So I think that's more what I'm, what I'm talking about. Yeah, well, and, and I, I like that. Um, I think, especially since we were talking about diabetes, unfortunately, that's one of the illnesses that a lot of people, um, it, it's very prevalent uh, right now in society. So I think, I think it's a good, a good fit. Um, and you mentioned uh, a little bit before about trauma and stress. What kind of impact can that have on our genes? Um, epigenetics. Right. So I remember epigenetics, epi meaning above genetics. So it's not epigenetics is not a code. It's about the way our genes switch on and switch off. And um, stress and trauma is so powerful in the way that it switches on our genes. So you'll hear conversations around cortisol and all other, you know, what we call neurotransmitters, dopamine, serotonin, epinephrine. Um, so when we have a response to stress, we have a very a natural response because, of course, we're hunter-gatherers. And so having stress was an was a, a evolutionary way of surviving, you know, that our body responded. The problem in a modern environment is we have stress all the time. We have what we call chronic stress. So I'm not talking about trauma. I'm talking about chronic stress. So in this case, the genes that get switched on in response to stress, and that stress could be physical emotional, psychological, it doesn't matter what kind of stress it is, will switch on genes that from an evolutionary point of view were meant to be switched on and switched off when the, the lions stopped chasing us. But in our world, we have a lot of exposure to stress. And when these genes get switched on, they make hormones, they make enzymes like cortisol that make it very difficult for us to manage our weight. They make it very difficult for us to sleep. They make it very difficult for us to manage our glucose and insulin. So that's one example of stress. Another example is trauma. So trauma, there's amazing um, research that's shown you can take a group of soldiers and send them off to war and they're all going to be exposed to the most horrific encounters of trauma when they come back from war some of them will go on to get ptsd and some won't so why do we respond differently i mean we started this conversation about why do we respond differently why does one person go on to get ptsd and another one doesn't 
This is built into our genetic sequence code. So depending on our susceptibility to how trauma impacts our body will determine whether we go on to get anxiety or depression or um, even things like ADHD, um, when we look at um, um, any of these kind of mood disorders, PTSD, some of us will be more susceptible than others. Then we look at what are the traumas in our life, which could be, again, physical, emotional, psychological, or um, a car accident. Um, even overtraining and exercise can be seen as a trauma by the body. If you're training for ultra, ultra endurance, the body is seeing it as, as, as a trauma because of all the oxidative stress and the inflammation. So in both ways, any trauma or, phys or stressor will, will be different depending on our DNA sequence code and how we respond to stress, but also in the genes that stress or trauma will switch on. Anyone who suffers from depression and anxiety, it's kind of a little bit near and dear to my heart because I had suffered for many years from that too. And I really turned my life around from that with um, really changing a lot of diet and lifestyle uh, changes. And it, it, it's amazing. So um, I'm hoping that um, I'm really going to be able to help some people I'm thinking of changing my coaching program, oddly enough, because I want to incorporate the genetic testing right up front, um, right after I meet with them for their health history, because I think that's really going to help me. And I think it's going to give them a visual. I think when people see something, it kind of helps them understand um, some of the things that they've been struggling with, you know, all their life. And maybe they had a feeling already. What we found was when we looked at anxiety, depression, bipolar, ADHD, um, any of these what we call mood disorders, which we're seeing so much more, especially in a post-COVID environment, we're seeing this extraordinary exponential increase in anxiety and depression, and particularly in our kids. If you look at the genes that contribute to anxiety and depression, they're actually all very similar genes. So there's, what I mean is the same genes that will manifest as anxiety will manifest as depression, bipolar, ADHD. And so we need to understand what are those genes coding for that we're seeing them in all these mood disorders. And it's always around, you know, dopamine, serotonin, noradrenaline, all our brain messages. So if we can understand in an individual their genetic susceptibility to something like anxiety and depression, we can help them in many ways, obviously through nutrition, and lifestyle, but also through coping skills, um, self-awareness, all the wonderful work that's behavioral. Um, um, what's the word that I'm thinking of? That country where we help manage behavior. Um, so really, you know, genetics is just this amazing ability to gain insight long before the problem becomes unmanageable. And it's, you know, we're seeing it so much more now, you know, that people... Um, especially anxiety, depression, especially in kids, if we knew about it, we could be building those skills now rather than waiting for the kind of breakdown and then having to deal with it. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And one of the things that um, Daniel Amen says is he likes to look at the brain with a scan because you're look, treating the organ, so why not look at the organ? And that sounds, uh, it reminds me very much of the genes too. It's like if, if you're dealing with something, let's let's try to figure out, let's look and see what's going on, and then we'll we'll address it. So, what kinds of tests are out there? Um, I mean, I know that you have a test. 
Yeah, so there are different tests in the marketplace and the marketplace is very confusing. So let's just, let's try and like simplify it. Um, so the first thing and the most popular by far is what we call Ancestry Genetic Testing. So this is 23andMe and Ancestry.com. You send in a cheek swab and they're going to tell you where about your origins. So, you know, I came from Eastern Europe. I'm from the Mediterranean. So it's trying going back, using DNA to go back to see where you're from. And of course, there's other, th other uses. So it's um, finding your lost cousin or being able to connect with other family members. And I'd say like 95% of all genetic testing that is done in the marketplace is based on ancestry. Of, and, and it's wonderful. It's wonderful. It's very interesting. Uh, mine was very boring. I, I wasn't that, I didn't have the, enough diversity to make mine interesting, but I've seen some amazing reports. But that's just kind of a small part. So what else is there? So then there's medical genetics. So medical genetics, which I don't work in, is when, and I did refer to earlier, is when you have these gene variants, spelling changes, that by themselves have a significant impact on your body. And in fact, one of the first nutrition diseases ever was phenylketonuria, PKU, where you're missing an amino acid, you, uh, you're missing an enzyme to break down this phenylalanine amino acid. So if, um, if you can't break it down, babies don't thrive and they can be really ill. So if you can identify the genetic variant, which is just a spelling change very early on, you can kind of build your life around not having this amino acid and grow on to be a very healthy and you know, full development. So these genes are rare, but powerful. Um, most of us will not encounter them. So when we think about something like breast cancer, 95% of breast cancers will come from the genetics that you and I have been talking about. Detoxification, inflammation, hormones, insulin, exposures, like all the things the way genes and our lifestyle are interacting. Only a small percentage of breast cancers will come from genes where the gene is more powerful than your choices are, than your, your nutrition or your lifestyle. So they're much more rare. And that could be same, you know, the same said for pretty much most of these chronic conditions, whether it's autoimmune or whether it's cardiovascular disease, diabetes, 95 plus percent will be these diet and lifestyle genes that are not that powerful by themselves, but are, are very informative when we look at the combination. So we call that medical genetics. It's more rare. And usually you have a genetic counselor work with you when you have one of these rare conditions. Then you have um, pharmacogenomics. So pharmacogenomics is about um, um, drugs, drugs, um, pharmaceuticals. And in fact, this has been one of the most successful areas of genetics. It's about, the interesting thing about it is that 50% of drugs in the marketplace work exactly as the drug company tell you they're going to work. But 20, in 25% of people, the drug will be metabolized very quickly and so will not reach the levels to make it um, efficient and, and work. And in 25% of people, the other, last 25%, the drug will work so slowly that um, it will never, um, it, sorry, let me just do it again. If it's metabolized very fast, the amounts in your system go up very quickly. So you feel the effect of that drug very quickly, 
but then it'll be it'll go out of your system and in a slow metabolizer where we metabolize the drug very slowly it goes so slowly in your system it never reaches the dosage level that you actually need for the drug to work so the amazing thing about pharmaceuticals is they only work 50% of the time and the reason is because of our genes because our genes make the enzymes that metabolize these drugs so there's some wonderful tests in the marketplace where you can have a look and see but how do i metabolize drugs which is the best drug for me and what is the best dosage for me to take so it's not relevant to every single pharmaceutical that's available but there's some very very important pharmaceuticals especially around um, anxiety depression cardiovascular disease blood clotting uh, psychiatry where Genetics are going to impact which drug you should use and what dosage. So that's another area. And then in my area, we talk about this world of lifestyle genetics, where be it diet or supplements or exercise, sport, weight, where the genes we're looking at always need to be looked at in the context of the decisions that we're making and the choices we're making. So remembering that 95% of all illness or sports or wave thing is going to come from these multi-genes, many, many genes that are interacting with our diet and lifestyle that we can action, where we do have control. And that pretty much, I mean, more or less kind of covers the genetic testing landscape, but it's really important to know um, when we talk about genetic testing, that it's not just one kind of test. Yeah, I'm sure everyone is familiar with the 23andMe and the Ancestry uh, type of tests. Um, I mean, you see commercials a lot of times for, for those. So, and, and like you said, over the last you know, 15 years, especially 10, 15 years, um, you do seem to know more people in your family circles and friend circles who have done st- study or tests like that. Um, you know, just to just out of curiosity to see, you know, who they where they came from, or oh, I thought I was from here, yeah. but it turns out I'm from here, kind of thing. <laughs> um, so, what kinds of things should people be looking for when they want to get testing? So, first of all, there are. Let's start it like this. There are four different areas where we find people are most interested in genetics. So one we've already touched on, which is I've been dieting my whole life. It doesn't matter what I do. I just don't understand why it's so hard for me to lose weight and so easy for me to gain weight. Like, what's going on here? So, so that's one group of people who will find a lot of answers in genetics. Um, the second group is our sports genes. So we, we have a whole team in our company around athletes and sports and why what is our exercise potential why no matter how much i train will i never finish on a podium and i'll always be middle of the pack no matter what my training is why am i more susceptible to getting injuries than someone else doing the same amount of training for me Um, am i better suited to doing endurance training or power training so it doesn't matter if you're an elite athlete or you're just getting off the sofa and want to get to walk 5ks like three miles um it's, it's just understanding what is the best exercise for our body and where our potential is at. So that's group number two. Group number three, we call um, optimal wellness. So maybe you've had some conditions in your family history and you want to make sure that you don't get it. You want to prevent disease. You want to live the healthiest life. Maybe you're someone who's really committed to anti-aging and you want to 
live to over 100 and, and have that quality of life. So this is the fine tuning. This is using genetics to personalize and fine tune all your decision making. And that's what genetics can do. You can say, well, generally we know that this is healthy for you, but in the case of genetics, we can really personalize it to optimize health. So that's our third group. And then our fourth group we've also touched on, which is what I call the complex conditions, the complex diseases. And if it's diabetes or autoimmune or Lyme disease or long COVID or a lot of the cardiovascular conditions or um, dementia or anything like that. This is where genetics is extremely powerful. Remember, understand the why so that we can we can have a better intervention. So those are, the, um, I've, I've answered one question, which is who would be interested in genetics? Now, if you are interested in genetics, there should be a number of questions you should ask when you're looking at genetic testing companies. So now, now we've decided we're one of those four. How do we choose a genetic testing company? There are three to 400 genetic testing companies in the marketplace in the USA, more or less on any one day. Every single time I wake up in the morning, there's almost another genetic testing company that started. So how do you as an individual choose a genetic testing company? So I'm going to give you some flags to avoid and some things to look for. The first thing is you don't want a medical genetics company, right? You're not looking for those rare genetic variants that cause these big diseases, okay? What you're looking for is a company that can talk about nutrition and exercise and stress and the environment and all the things that you can do to make yourself better. So you want to be looking for a company that actually is going to be able to provide advice. I always say, when you wake up in the morning, do you know what to eat for breakfast? Or sometimes, do you know what time you should be eating breakfast? So does it give you advice on actually how to change your life, not just give you data? So the biggest red flag for any company, and it's not just genetics, it's any testing company, is are they providing only data or are they giving you translation, something valuable that you can change in your life? So often these companies will say, oh, I'm testing 100,000 genes and, and Yale's company only tests 157. That should be a red flag for you because the ability to test for data is not the same thing as the ability to translate and give you value in your decision making. So that's a red flag for you. Any company who sells you on how many genes they test is usually a red flag because you want the quality of the translation, not the quantity of data. And I always say, if you're paying $10 for a genetic test, but all you're getting is data, it's an expense of $10. The other thing is you wanna know about privacy, right? You wanna know who's testing the swab that I'm sending, cheek swab or spit or whatever it is, who's your lab, does the lab have the certification? It's called CLEAR or CAP a certification, hopefully both. Do they bank my DNA? In other words, once they've done the test on my DNA, do they keep the DNA or do they destroy it? They need your permission to bank that DNA. You make sure that you know whether you're giving permission or you're not. Okay. Secondly, thirdly, are they selling that DNA data to a third party? So companies like 23andMe, their business model is to do as many genetic tests as possible and then take the data, depersonalize it, so they take your name and your email address and your phone number away 
and sell it. In the case of 23andMe, they sell it to pharmaceutical companies who are using the genetics to do drug discovery. Now, I hope you can hear my voice that I'm not judging 23andMe. I think it's amazing what's going on because we have to have a better way to do drug discovery. And genetics is extremely helpful. But it's their business model, not mine, right? They're in the business of data. So, and and I have done 23andMe, so I'm quite happy. For, and you get to decide whether 23andMe is allowed to use your data. You can say no. Always know that you can say no. So I'm quite happy for 23andMe to use my genetic data if it's going to help build better drugs. I ticked that box and I said, that's fine. But you must know what company you're dealing with. Are you dealing with a company that sells data or are you dealing with a company that only is focused on your life, your diet, your supplements, what you should eat for breakfast? So ask the question, what are you doing with my data? What did you do with my DNA? Is it destroyed or is it not? So make sure they've got a privacy statement. They can tell you where they're storing your data, um, how they depersonalize your data. Very, very important. Next thing is, who built the test? So one of the things I've noticed, I call them the copy and paste companies, is there are so many genetic tests where they literally take a report, brand it beautifully, build a website, and sell it. And it's because it's very easy to pay a genetic testing company to test. So I call them the copy and paste because they all look the same. They just have a different brand on. So when you go to a, a company's website, go and have a look for the scientists. Make sure that that company has scientists, has a scientific advisory board, has a dietitian, has clinicians, that they have built the test, not that they just copied someone else's test and slapped their brand on, okay? The next thing is you wanna know education. Do they offer education? How can you learn more about genetics? How can you reach out? What customer service is gonna be offered? Are there practitioners that have been trained by this company that I can go to and ask questions about my report, find out more about my report, what I should be doing, how can I could get help? So you wanna be sure that the company is working with clinicians, training and mentoring them, and that you have somewhere to go with your report and you're not left alone to figure it out by yourself even if you're assuming that's what you want to do. So I think that's probably my key, like good and bad for individuals who are interested in genetic testing. I think a lot of those, um, some people don't even think about. I know some family members have done it. And honestly, I don't know that they probably never thought about it either, any of those things. And like you said, some of it is okay if you want them to bank your DNA, or and that's fine. And and but I I think it's good to be educated on everything that is all all the steps that they're doing. And so hopefully some people will now start to think about that if they want to move forward with whatever company, whether it's your company, another company, um, and and like you said before, what their end goal really is because. I had never thought, personally, I am not an athletic person, um, but I know that there's lots of people who love to go to the gym and they love to train for, you know, bike races. And and so that doing genetic testing would probably be very wise for them and very helpful to them. So I had never thought of even, you know, sport, encompassing that into sports, you know, before. <laughs> oh, it's huge. I mean, sports <laughs> genetics is... 
And I think genetics is going to be the thing that's going to change the sports environment the greatest in the next decade. So it's it's uh, it's very powerful in determining. I mean, if you think about elite athletes, they all train all the time. They have brilliant coaching. They have performance people. They have great nutrition. So what makes one athlete just because their 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 difference, their competitive edge is tiny. Mm-hmm. So, you know, genetics are, is so powerful. If you're not, do not have the genes to be um, a, a professional sports person, you will not be a professional sports person. Like, not in sports. You've got to have the genes for it as your baseline, and then all the training and the nutrition and all the other things get loaded on top. But genetics is absolutely huge in sports. Yeah, and, and I never thought of that because, you know, especially if, and I would feel bad for someone if they had a passion for let's say cycling but you know they were better for short sprints or something you know well you know the interesting thing is it doesn't it's not, it doesn't really work like that like I've run many many marathons and if I and and I as I said like I've done marathons and triathlon and swimming and I am always middle of the pack so someone could have said to me you know you're kind of better off doing x y and z it doesn't stop me from doing it still do it it's just managing my expectations that if I run marathons, I'm never going to be a brilliant endurance runner. And if I do powerlifting, I'm never going to be because I don't have the genes to be, um, it's not a bad thing. In fact, it's fantastic because I just like, okay, well, I'm going to really enjoy my running and my swimming and my cycling, but I'm not, um, I'm never going to be an elite athlete. So it's all, you know, so it's never like, we're never saying to someone, don't do anything because of your genes. We're just saying, let's manage um, expectations. Let's manage recovery from training. Let's manage uh, injury susceptibility and make sure you don't get injured. So it's more about um, managing um, the kind of training we're doing and what we choose to do. If you've only got three hours a week to train because you've got kids and a job and a, a million things that you need to do, let's use those three hours in the best possible way. And that's where we can use genetics. Yeah, there was the saying in, in I think, the 80s here in the States, and maybe you had it where you were too, but it, knowledge is power. And um, yeah. yeah, knowledge, especially when it comes to genes, knowledge, knowledge is power. Is power. Yeah. Knowledge is always power. <laughs> and, yes, yes. Uh, and that's it, you know, genetics. And, you know, we talk about the power of genetics and it's about insight. And know yourself, you know. Um, well, and I know early on, um, or earlier in the conversation, you had mentioned, um, you mentioned the word gene variant and gene mutation. And I think that some people, when they hear either of those, especially when they hear gene mutation, they get a little freaked out. They think that something is wrong with them or it's some bad disease so maybe you could explain the gene variants slash gene mutation i hope i didn't use the word mutation but um because i try not to but um great question to kind of in 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 today's conversation but um so remember i spoke about spelling changes Mm -hmm. and spelling changes are really when you've got a different letter in your dna from someone else that can change um the amino acid or the protein or the hormone or the enzyme. So we have a whole bunch of words to describe a spelling change. So we can call them a gene variant. So there's a variation in the gene. It's again a spelling change. We can call it a gene variation. We can call it a SNP, which is very common. 
single nucleotide polymorphism. So single one nucleotide is, is actually like the C, the G, the A, so it's the spelling. And polymorphism means change. So SNP is a spelling change. And a mutation is a spelling change. So the reason I don't use the word mutation is because it's so negative. People think that if they have a mutation, they're getting a disease. But a mutation is just a spelling change with a, with a lot of judgment around it. But it's no different. It's just a spelling change. So I try not to use a word because people assign a lot of um, judgment around the word mutation. But it's no different from saying I've got a spelling change. So I prefer to think of um, try not to judge these spelling changes we have, but rather see them as knowledge, knowledge and insight and information about, about who we are. Really quick, I just was thinking, um, I had mentioned this recently to another doctor when I was talking with them about epigenetics a little bit. Um, it was probably about 15 years ago, and you said, have you been in the States that long? Well, I've been working in the States, I've been, I've been working in the U.S. for 24 years, but I've been, oh. I, I was living in and out the States, so it's... It, my work's always been here, but I haven't always been living here. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, um, I want to say it was about 15 years ago. Um, I grew up, of course, I was much older then, but um, I grew up watching like Nova, which is like a PBS channel. And um, there was about 15 years ago um, something about, um, it was called The Ghost in Your Genes. And uh, it was about a, a tale of two mice. And it was basically about identical twins and they used people as well as mice in this whole thing called ghost in your genes and it was really fascinating because you know people think of identical twins everything is exactly the same but um, there were a lot of variations in these identical twins right down to these identical mice and um, they were trying to say how the environment and the food that you feed them and there's all sorts of other factors that yeah. play a role in these identical mice as well as people. And it was very fascinating and interesting. And, and um, I'll put a link to that in the show notes because um, I just... Yeah, I, I mean, most of the research, most genetic research is done, not most, a significant amount of genetic research is done in identical twins because they're the perfect way to see what the impact of the environment is. So if you take twins who are identical in their DNA code and you expose them to different environments, you can determine how... So when we look at a beast, it doesn't matter what disease, they always try and use identical twins because if you take identical twins and they are raised in two different homes and one has McDonald's for breakfast, lunch and supper and the other one is eating a beautiful, healthy, home thing, what is the impact of that diet on, on the DNA? So, but this brings us back to the conversation about epigenetics, gene expression. So you can have identical twins where their code is identical, but which genes get switched on and off will differ depending on the choices they make in their life. And that is why you often see identical twins, especially as they grow older. So when they're younger, less so, but when they grow older, you'll start seeing differences manifest. And that's because the decisions they're making in their life assuming they're making different decisions, most do eventually, um, will start manifesting in their body and their personality and their lives as they get older and older. And that's why, you know, it's, it's, it's a great way to study genetics using identical twins. Well, uh, thank you so much for being on. Um, 
Before, um, as we wrap up, I always ask my guests uh, for the final question uh, for their don't miss this moment. So what would your don't miss this moment be that you would want my listeners to kind of take away if they get anything from this conversation? What would that don't miss this moment be? From today? Um, yeah, just, you know, know yourself. Like there is, it is nothing more exciting then understanding who you are and how you live in this world around you and how you respond to to everything that happens to you every day. And I always say, you know, don't think of health as something that you do next year or this year or next month. Like every single decision you make, every minute of every day is part of your health journey. And, and so, you know, knowing who you are can change that journey in the next minute. Yes, I think that's a perfect way to end it. <laughs> um, other than, uh, why don't you tell my listeners uh, where they can find you or follow you? Uh, yes, I, I have a few books. Probably the the one, the most recent one is um, the one I really love the most. It's called The Power of Genetics. It's very easy to read. It's got um, beautiful stories in, incredible imagery, um, and it's available on Amazon. Um but, and then, of course, 3x4genetics.com. And that's where you'll find us there. And any, you know, anything more you want to know, if you can't find it on the website, just reach out to us. But it's yeah, 3x4genetics.com. Perfect. Well, thank you again so much for being on today. I really appreciate you taking the time um, to talk with me and my listeners. My pleasure. Thanks. Thanks for the invite. If you are looking for a trustworthy place to choose all of your supplements, Fullscript has 285 different brands to choose from. They did the work for you to check quality standards for all the supplements they carry. These standards are important because they help to ensure a product is safe, effective, and accurately labeled. Fullscript uses third-party companies to provide unbiased assurance that certain quality criteria are met when they add a company or product to their inventory. When you set up an account with Fullscript, use my link and you'll always get 15% off your supplements. If you want to continue learning and hearing all things nutrition for your mind, body, and spirit, click like, subscribe, or favorite me on whatever podcast platform you use. Or you can find me at ForgivenNutritionist.com. This podcast was designed to educate, inspire, and empower you to achieve your health and wellness goals with your current healthcare provider. It is not meant to diagnose or treat any illness or medical condition or take the place of any treatments from your current healthcare providers.